Well, let's take our Bibles. We're in Proverbs chapter number 12 this evening. Proverbs chapter 12. We began uh, this message last Sunday night, and of course, we were uh, coming off of the uh, Smite campaign, and uh, our uh, young people had just returned. We heard some testimonies from them, some special music. And so because of uh, what we had going on last Sunday night, we were not able to uh, get very deep into the messages. We were able to cover the, cover the first point. So we want to finish that here tonight. And, um, and as we've, we've been saying, we've, we've transitioned sort of into a portion of the book in which uh, Solomon is laying out for us uh, what, we, what we called last week is, is something that we would know as contrast. Um, you, you, might, you might say it this way. He's making comparisons and he's, he's showing you two, two ends of the spectrum. He's showing you um, what it's like when you make the right choice and how that works out and, and how that favors an individual. And then what, what happens when someone uh, makes the wrong choice. And, uh, and he's, again, he's making the, the two comparisons. And I mean, just about every verse in the 12th chapter of the book of Proverbs uh, does this. Let me, just, let me just share that with you. Verse number, verse number one, Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge. But he that hateth reproof is brutish. So there's the comparison, right? He's comparing someone who loves instruction and, and, and what, what they're known for and, and how, how blessed they are with someone who, who, to be frank, hates instruction, hates reproof. And, and so he's making that comparison. And of course, he's writing as a father to the son and he's saying, son, you know, choose to love instruction. Don't be someone who hates reproof. Look at verse number two. Uh, a, a good man obtaineth favor of the Lord but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. So again, as he's making the comparison, he says, you have a good man, and, and what does the Lord do for him? The Lord, the Lord gives him favor. He blesses him. He says, on the other hand, a, a wicked man, a man of wicked devices, is going to not be favored by the Lord, but he's going to be condemned by the Lord. So there's a comparison going on here. Verse number three, a man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. So again, he's comparing righteousness, a man who is righteous with a man who is wicked. Verse four, he talks about a woman, a virtuous woman, being a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. So again, there's a comparison or a contrast that is there. And so we, we said that the word contrast is, is defined as to set in opposition to or more figures of a like kind with a view to show the difference and to manifest the superior excellence of the one by the inferiority of the other. So, so what is the like kind in these first few verses? Well, the like kind is a man and a woman. Verse number four, it's a woman. There's the, there's the like kind of the woman, but what is the, what is the comparison that's being made? Which one is superior and which one is, is, uh, is lacking? Well, the virtuous woman in verse number four is superior, but the woman who maketh ashamed is, is, is lacking. She is, uh, she is problematic. She's trouble to the man who has married her. So, so that's, the, that's the comparison or the contrast that's being made. And then we said last week in, in verse number five, the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit. And so we said that that, that Solomon is urging his son, number one, to contrast the counsel of the righteous with the counsel of the wicked. And of course, we talked a lot about counsel and how important it is that we get good uh, counsel, biblical counsel, before we make decisions and before we make choices. And we said that the book of Proverbs urges people to have a multitude of counselors because in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. But then we looked at other verses that reveal that it's not just enough to have a multitude of counselors, but you better make sure that your multitude of counselors are leading you and are, are speaking biblical truth into your life. 
So the goal is not just having a bunch of people that will say things to you, but the goal is making sure that the people who do speak things into your life are doing so based upon the truth of God's word. So throughout this text, we find that there's this comparison that is going on. Now, I, I want to I wanna just warn a little bit about the, the danger that can be of comparison, comparing the wrong things. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, uh, I believe it's chapter number 10, now, the Apostle Paul, he, he talks about the dangers of comparison. And I just have to tell you that it is, uh, it is a struggle, I think, in all of our lives not to compare our lives with the lives of other people. We struggle in that area. Uh, we Sometimes we, we look at someone else and, and we compare where they are and what they're doing and, and how they're faring. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can, we can start to find ourselves in a dangerous place where we, we say, well, that's, that's not fair. He doesn't deserve to be there or, 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 or he, he shouldn't be in that position. I know what he's really like. Sometimes we compare people's lifestyles with our lifestyles and we get bitter about the fact that maybe we're not as far along. Why, why, can't, I, why can't I travel like that? Or why can't I um, have, a, have a car like that? Or why can't I live in that kind of a neighborhood? Sometimes, sometimes even husbands and wives, they'll compare their marriage with another marriage. Uh, you know, and the, the wife will say, you know, why can't you, why can't you be a husband like him? Ladies, I don't recommend that. And on the flip side, guys, I don't recommend you saying to your wife, sweetheart, why can't, you, why can't you be a little bit more like her? I just don't suppose that's a wise thing for us to do. One of the, one of the great dangers, one of the great dangers of living in the culture in which we're living in and uh, having all of the technology that is available to us is it, is it, is it just ratchets up the whole comparison game. I'm thinking specifically of in the realm of social media. You, you do know, right, that, uh, that, that they're, uh, most, most people, when they go to update their social media status, uh, they, they often do that when they're having their best days. You know, the pictures that they upload of their children are always when their children are just, you know, pristinely dressed and the hair is all done perfectly and they happen to be obeying for about five minutes. Quick, get the camera and take some pictures. And then they upload it, and they do that every so often. And you might, you might sit back, and you might think to yourself, man, my kids are always running around like, you know, raggedy and dolls, you know. My kids, their hair's going everywhere, and I don't feel like they obey me all that well. And I just, I just want you to know something, that social media is not always reality. So we need to be careful about how we compare our lives and how we contrast our lives with the lives of others. But I, I do believe that this type of comparison is good, what is being done here, because he's contrasting, he's, first of all, the counsel of the righteous with the counsel of the wicked. And, and, and he's, saying, he's saying, listen, if, if you determine that you're going to listen to the counsel of the righteous, it will lead to blessing. Very obvious in verse number five. Because he says the thoughts of the righteous are right. You follow the counsel that you get from a, a, a known Bible-believing Christian who is, who is preaching and teaching the Bible through counsel, and, and, and you will find that that will lead you to blessing. It will lead you to right. But notice he says, secondly, that the counsel of the, the wicked will lead to disappointment. He says at the end of the verse, he says, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit. And so we touched on these things the last week. Now I want you to skip down with me, if you would, to verse number 18. And I want you to consider another contrast that the, uh, King Solomon makes here in this text. Look at verse number 18. He says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, 
But the tongue of the wise is health. So, so we're comparing two things of a like kind. What is, what is the like kind? Well, the like kind here is words, right? It's the, it's the tongue and what, uh, what the tongue says and how the, how the tongue says it. And the comparison, the contrast that is being made is this. Contrast the words of a foolish man with the words of a wise man. He says, compare the two. Compare the way that a foolish man speaks with the way that a wise man speaks and determine, determine which man you want to be, which man you wish to be. Notice, notice he begins this particular thought, this particular verse by saying this, the words of a foolish man wound. The words of a foolish man wound. Notice he says in verse number 18, he says, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. Now, I, I, uh, I've, I've been blessed throughout my life. I think I've told you this before. I have never, I've never had to have surgery. I've never had to go to the hospital. I've never had to get stitches. I've never broken a bone. Every time I say that, I, I feel like I'm tempting fate just a little bit, right? Maybe this is a knock on wood moment. I don't think we believe in that kind of stuff. But you, you, you know how people can be a little superstitious about those kinds of things. But I have been abundantly blessed in my life. Some of you, some of you might look at me and say, you haven't really lived if you haven't had those experiences. You know, what kind of man are you anyways? And, and, uh, and I, I suppose that's, that's maybe up for debate. But I, uh, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to have been blessed in, in that way. Some, some of you, you have, uh, as you've worked and done different things with, with your hands and, and, and physically, maybe you have encountered a situation in which you have cut yourself very, very deeply. So deeply that you had to be rushed off to an emergency room and, and you had to have, you know, first aid administered and perhaps maybe even some form of stitches or, you know, whatever the case might be in order to, uh, in order to, to, you know, to stop the, the flow of, of the blood there and, and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and, and so you, you get the picture that is being spoken of here. That is not a pleasant experience. Nobody, nobody wakes up and says, you know, I'm going to work today and, and uh, boy, I hope by the end of the day I can pierce myself with like a sword. You know, I, ho- I hope that's the, that's the end result of this day at work that I end up in an emergency room somewhere with stitches. Be- no, no, the, the idea that is being spoken of here is that the words of a foolish man, when he speaks and when he talks, when he opens his mouth and you, you find yourself in the crosshairs of his words, he is saying it is not a pleasant, it is not a healthy, it is not a blessed experience, but rather the words of a foolish man wound. Well, that's so true, isn't it? Words can be so impactful. They can do such damage to someone. Solomon says about the foolish man, his words that they pierce like a sword. He he says the words of a foolish man are hurtful. His words are cutting. They're stabbing. They they are wounding. A man like this, he's likened literally to someone who's holding a a knife or a sharp sword, and he he literally is unconcerned with how he wields that sword and the damage that he can do. You know, if you had something like that, something that was really, really sharp and that was dangerous, you would be very, very careful how you held that and, and, and how close you got to other people. The foolish man, however, he walks around and proverbially he carries this sword or this dagger that is extremely sharp and he is utterly unconcerned he is totally not careful at all by the way that he handles this extremely dangerous weapon that he holds in his hands and with it and with it he wounds 
He hurts. He stabs. He cuts other people. Well, this is a, a fairly familiar theme. The Bible says in Psalm 52, in verse number 2, Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Sort of the same theme, just a different author in Scripture. Psalm 57 in verse number 4 says this, My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. I think we're all familiar with James chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. Probably one of the most familiar passages in all the Scripture dealing with our words and the way that we talk and the damage that we can do with our tongues. The Bible says, And the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell for every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, listen to this last phrase, full of deadly poison. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to think how many of you have been poisoned by the words of others how many of you have been stabbed but you have been wounded you have been pierced uh, with the with the words of others that were uh, that were careless that were haphazard uh, foolish words that were used in a very careless way and they did such great damage to you my um my my memory is not great uh, some of you you know that you know that about me i I, I don't remember a lot of things. They say that a short pencil is better than a long memory, and uh, that's so true. My wife, on the other hand, has an impeccable memory, impeccable. And um, because we met in the sixth grade, that can be good, or that can be really bad, really bad. Because in the sixth grade, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a very mature individual. Uh, to be very frank, in the twelfth grade, I wasn't all that mature, and and, uh, and, and then there are moments of, I suppose, immaturity even still to this day. Um, it's, a, it's, a life, it's a lifelong battle, I suppose, for me. But, 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 but every once in a while, she will we'll be reminiscing about old times, or she'll be telling a story to our children, and, and she'll, she'll say, you know, when we were in sixth grade, your daddy said this. And I'm sitting here going, I don't remember saying that. At all, I don't know. And she'll show. Oh, you you said it for sure. And of course, at that time, I'm you know I'm the you know I'm the I'm the loser. You know, my kids are like, Daddy, how could you? How could you say those things? Now here's now here's why. Here's why she remembers those. Because at that point in time, I was lacking in maturity spiritually. No doubt, I was not where I should have been. And so and so I, I, because I was I, I was those things I was I was careless sometimes with my words with my mouth and as a result when I when I would speak to her or to anybody else even if she was in with an earshot it, it was like I was holding that sword or that I was holding that knife and I was jabbing people with it and I was stabbing people with the foolish words that would come out of my mouth And here's what's interesting 30 years have passed 30 years have come and gone and yet and yet, she or perhaps others that I have spoken to in an inappropriate way, in an immature way, in a foolish way, others that I have spoken to in that way, they were wounded by those things. And, and, and probably, probably they'll go to their grave remembering the way that I spoke to them and the, and the words that I used. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. 
I, I think sometimes that we think it's really not that big of a deal, but I'm here to tell you the Bible spends a great deal of time dealing with our words and the way that we communicate with one another. Solomon is making this comparison, and he says, contrast the words of a foolish man with the words of a wise man. You know, we should acknowledge that our words are powerful. Did you know that they're so powerful that they're capable of giving life, or they're capable of producing or causing death? That's what the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, this awareness or this acknowledgement should lead us all to be much more careful and cautious. But sadly, many times we are not. And we'd like to think, well, yeah, that's a, that's a sixth grade problem. That's a sixth grade issue. Yeah, Pastor Pete, of course. We, who, who didn't say things that were hurtful in sixth grade? Don't all children. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that's an adult problem too. I've discovered that it's not just an unsaved problem, not, no, not at all, uh, that it, is a, it, it can be a church problem as well. That, that people with their words can, can say such damaging and such harmful things. Perhaps maybe, maybe they're just making some assumptions about a situation, or perhaps it's in the form of gossip, and they're literally slandering someone else's character. Here in recent days, we have, we have seen trials dealing with this idea of called defamation of character. I mean, literally people are going to court and they are, they're being sued for millions of dollars because they were, they were, they were loose and careless with their lips. Now listen, we, we, we ought not to do that in the church. We ought not to do that in church. I'm, I'm talking about taking someone else to court because they, they hurt you with their words. But here's what I'm saying. We ought to, we ought to cut it off at the past. We ought not to, we ought not to hurt people with our words. Now be careful about that. You ought, to, you ought to pray, you ought to ask the Lord, Lord, would you, would you set a guard over my lips? Lord, before I, before I say something that is of a, a, a nature that is gossiping or, or, or that is critical or that is cutting or hurtful or something that has the potential to wound, and by the way, that doesn't just include the words that come out of our mouths, but it also includes the things that we text, the things that we put on our social media, all of those, the things that we type in our emails, all of those things are forms of communication. And just because maybe it wasn't said verbally or in a verbal manner does not lessen the hurt that it causes and it produces in the life of an individual. And I'm just here to tell you that when you, when you, when you speak words that are hurtful and that are wounding, the Bible says, the Bible says you're a fool. And the Bible says that you're essentially, you're walking around and you're carrying something that is sharp, something that is pointed, something that is going to do great damage and great hurt to an individual. And the Bible says that it's not a wise thing to do, that reality, listen, in reality, you are causing death in the life of those who hear you speak. And so the warning here is to be so much more careful and cautious. But sadly, many times we are not. Here's the question, how do you know if a man is a fool? Or worse yet, how do you know if you're a fool? That the words that are spoken are consistently, that's a key word, consistently. Because listen, we are all, James said it. James says that the tongue can no man tame. I mean, it just can't be done. But you understand what I'm saying. We, we sometimes use the, the term, you know, slip of the tongue. And, and, and I suppose all of us, we're gonna struggle with that from time to time. But I'm saying if consistently, your words are, are words of, of, of strong criticism and being critical. 
never happy, never pleased about anything, always, always making people walk on eggshells around you, or your, your, your words are full of just gossip in, in, in which you're defaming other people and you're talking about them, and you may not even, you may not even have the full story. In fact, I would dare to say, unless, unless that person's a family member, you probably don't have the full story. Yet those are the, consistently, those are the way that you use your words, then, then, then more, likely, more than likely, then you would be considered a fool because you, you walk around and you have, you have this sword and you are piercing, listen, you are piercing everyone that you come in contact with. He contrasts that, he says, compare that. The words of a fool, they, they wound, but notice, secondly, the words of a wise man heal. Look at the end of verse number 18. But the tongue of the wise is health. So the fool walks around, he carries a sword. And he, and he jabs everybody that he comes in contact with. You know what the wise man does? He walks around and he carries a band-aid. He carries some gauze. He carries something that will stop the bleeding. He carries something that when it is administered, it begins the healing process in an individual who has been wounded by the words of someone else. That's the comparisons being made. So the, so the, so the, the light kind are the words. And the comparison is, listen, you can be a fool with your words or you can be a wise man with your words. And I think we all understand what God is getting at here. We understand what is being spoken of here in our text, and that is this, that God wants every one of us to be wise in the way that we communicate, to be wise with our words, to use our words in a way that is, brings healing and health to those that we come in contact with, to come along and to, and to begin to sort of patch people up who have been so hurt and so damaged by the words of foolish people. A man is considered wise when his words are consistently healing and life-giving. When people long to be around an individual because their words are so gracious, you can safely assume that that person is wise. Now listen, that's, that's, not, that's not the same as saying, simply saying what everybody wants to hear. Two different things here. In other, words, in other words, you're saying, okay, all I need to do is just say what people want to hear and then I'll be considered wise. No, it, it, means, it means saying the truth, speaking the truth in a, in a loving and a kind and a gracious way. There is a difference between the two. Now, there are people who, they just figure out, you know, what, what, what should be said here, what is, the, you know, what is the, the temperature of the room, and I'm just going to say what people want, want, to, be, be, want to hear, and, and we'll be good. That's not what's being communicated here. Rather, it is speaking the truth, but doing so in love. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, verses 20 and 21, the tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. Proverbs 16, 24, the Bible says, pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. When contrasting between a wise man and a fool, one of the clearest ways, one of the clearest ways to see the difference is to observe their words. A foolish man's words consistently damage and leave people hurting while well, the wise man's words consistently give life and healing to those who hear them. This ought to make its first impact in our homes, husbands and wives. This is where it ought to begin. It's not all that surprising to think of a man who is hurtful with his words in the church house or in the business community when you watch him and he's very careless and he's very haphazard in the way that he communicates with his wife. It doesn't surprise us. 
Or when you see a family in a grocery store, some other public place, and the man or the wife, the husband or the wife, they're berating their children, they're humiliating their children in front of other people, or perhaps maybe their children are, are responding in a very rebellious and fleshly way to their parents, and then to watch them as they transition to other people, it should not surprise us, right, that, that if that's how you're going to treat your family, that's probably also how you're going to treat others. So the, so the first place that this ought to make an impact, this ought to make a difference, is in the home, in the home. So ask yourself this question, how are we doing in our home? How are you doing, first of all, in your marriage? Do you find that your words have consistently, again, we're, we're, not, we're not saying that, that someone can possibly ever go the, their whole marriage and never say something that is hurtful, but do you find that there's a consistent element in which, man, I just find myself always crossing my spouse and saying things that are hurtful and things that are unkind and things that maybe even are untrue, uh, always wanting to have the last word and always sort of barking at one another and arguing with one another. And if that's the temperature of your home, if that's the temperature of your marriage, that is a problem. What you need to do is you need to ask the Lord to give you help because he can he can give you help. He can, he can, he can sort of be that, be that you know, reminder for you as, you as you open up your mouth and you're ready to speak, you know, sort of that stop sign that says, hold on a minute, you, you sure you want to cross this line? Are you sure you want to speed through this intersection? Do you, do you realize the damage that can be done here? And so how are you doing in your marriage? How are you doing in your relationships with your children? I suppose both of these are convicting thought for me. I sometimes get frustrated and, and uh, lose my cool so very quickly. You know, sitting at a table and a spill takes place or a loud noise. I don't like loud noise, especially in a car. I'll be driving along, one of my kids makes a loud noise, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm ready to grab him by the throat. And it happens so quickly. I think to myself, what is wrong with you? I mean, now that, the kids need to learn that, you know, probably should be shouting and screaming in the car, but dads need to learn, chill out a little bit. I mean, all of us, all of this, this is, this is convicting stuff. Now, these are things that we need to be reminded of, that we need to look at this contrast, and we need to ask the Lord, and ask the Lord, Lord, help me to control my tongue through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray that every day. Why don't you do that? Why don't you pray that tomorrow before you head off to work or before you begin to interact with your family? Lord, Lord, there are going to be opportunities for conflict. There are going to be opportunities for me to use my mouth to either bring healing and health or to, to, to do wounding and to, and to stab someone. Lord, would you help me? Would you help me be very careful, very careful with this tongue? Lord, as I, as I find myself in those situations where passions are inflamed and I am, am, am really struggling with a matter, Lord, would you, would, you, would you allow me to be able to calm myself? I think these are prayers that the Holy Spirit of God would be pleased to answer, don't you? I think that these are things that he wants to help us with. Sometimes we're, we're praying for all of the wrong things. We know God wants us to speak words that are gracious and to speak words that are kind. And, and, and yet, very, very few times we actually pray that the Lord would help us in these areas. So contrast the words of a wise man with the words of a foolish man. Seek to be a wise man, a wise woman in the way that you communicate. And then thirdly, and finally tonight, he, he says, compare, contrast the position of the diligent man with that of the slothful man. Would you look in verse number 24? The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. The hand of the diligent 
shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under, under tribute. Well, here's the comparison that is made. Number one, he says this, the diligent man is in a position of leadership. He bears rule. Now, what does it mean to be a diligent man? I think what is being spoken of here is it, it means being someone who goes to work and works really, really hard and, uh, and works while he's at work and he doesn't play while he's at work and he treats other people with respect and he uses his, his brain to figure things out and he uses his body to move the project forward and he, again, he's just, he's diligent in everything that he does. He, he has good relationships with those that he works with and he's on time, he shows up on time and he, and he doesn't clock out early and he doesn't call off unless, unless he's really, truly sick. And, and, and listen, that type of person over time, through, through consistent hard work and effort, he climbs steadily to a position of authority and leadership. He's trusted because he's proven himself over time. When he goes to work, he puts in a full day and he gives his all. His boss and his coworkers, they don't have to wonder if he's going to show up. And if he, and if he does show up, what kind of effort he's going to give. He, he's a man of responsibility. And because he has been faithful in that which is least, he has given more and more influence, more and more leadership, more and more authority. I, I know we're living in a, in a culture that says, you know, that you, uh, you, you, you will be nothing. You'll be nothing in your career unless you get a college degree. And that's sort of been the message that has been hammered for decades now. And I'm all for folks, young folks getting college degrees. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered people who never spent a day in college. And yet, and yet they bear rule. They're successful. They're successful because they go to work every day and they work really, really hard. And they're diligent. They're not slothful in business, but in reality, they're, uh, they're, they're hard workers, and they just go and go and go and go, and the boss doesn't have to continually stand over their shoulder, and, and he doesn't have to wonder if they're going to show up, and he doesn't have to wonder if they do show up, what kind of effort they're going to give. And, and, and again, listen, this is not about college degrees. This is not about you know, how, how, many, you know, how many accomplishments that you have. This is about being diligent in work. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 and verse number 2, a wise servant shall have rule over a son that causeth shame. And shall have part of the inheritance among the brethren. Think about that. He's making a comparison there. He's saying you, you have a wise servant who works really hard and is really diligent. And, 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 and he, he likely is going to rise to a position of influence and authority even over a son. So long as that son is, is a young man that just causes shame. And doesn't have a diligent work ethic and is very, very slothful and is very, very lazy. That, what he's saying is that, that dad can look at his son and even though he's his boy, he can look at his son and he can say, this, this young man does not deserve anything to be handed to him. If I, if I give this boy what I have worked so hard to accumulate, if I pass it on to him, he is going to do nothing but squander it. He is not deserving of these things. That, that's what he's saying there. People sit up and they take notice. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse number 29, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. I, I know there have been times in which I've not been all that diligent throughout my life. And I look back on those times and there's shame there and there's regret. I feel bad because I realize that I, I didn't do the job that I was maybe hired to do or that I should have been doing. I can't go back and, and change some of those things, and neither, neither can you. But here's what we can do. 
We can give our absolute all to whatever God has given us to do. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Give it your all. I don't know what tomorrow holds for you. Uh, Some of you, maybe it's not going off to work, but it's staying in the home and looking after the home and caring for your children and and, uh, caring for the affairs of the home. Some of you, it's going to an office somewhere and and, uh, meeting with people and and, uh, and, and moving a a, a business type of entity along. Some of you, it's manufacturing and and others of you, it's sales or whatever the case might be. But here's, here's what I'm saying. You want to bear rule? You want to be promoted? You want to be in a position of authority and leadership? Well, then make sure that your hand is diligent. If you go to work every day and you put in a, uh, an honest day's work, then you'll find, you'll find, you do that enough times, more often than not, you will sit in a position of authority. You will bear rule. Notice the second thought that he gives as he contrasts the diligent man being in a position of leadership, and he says this, the slothful man, on the other hand, is in a position of servitude. The end of verse number 24, but the slothful shall be under tribute. The diligent man, through hard work and effort, he climbs steadily to position of authority and leadership. The, the slothful man, through laziness and subpar effort, he drops steadily over time to a position of servitude. He assumes, here's what he assumes, he assumes everyone is against him. Uh, you, you've, you've met people like this. Everywhere they go, it's always somebody else's fault. You know, I mean, they, they can't hold the job down. I mean, they're just constantly looking for work. And, and when you go to ask them, hey, what happened there? Well, you know, my boss didn't like me. He had, it, he had it out for me from the start. You know, he just, you know, I could just tell. I could just tell early on that things weren't going to work out. And, you know, and, and, and you're sitting here going, well, what, what about the other previous two bosses you said the same thing about? There's a common denominator here. The common denominator is you. The common denominator is the person who is a slothman. He assumes everyone is against him. He views others in an antagonistic way, never realizing, again, that the common denominator in all of his problems is him. It's him. He thinks he's a victim. He thinks he's a victim of bad fortune. And he assumes someday, he assumes someday all of this is going to change. But he doesn't stop to think that, listen, luck and fortune have nothing to do with where he finds himself. Here's the problem. The problem is he's lazy. The problem is he's slothful. The problem is he is not diligent. The problem is he is a procrastinator. He is continually uh, kicking the can down the road. He's continually pushing the problem uh, to, a, to another person or to another time, uh, thinking that everything is someday going to change. He's fixated on the immediate, and he does not realize that to change his future, he must begin to do things differently in the present. You see, he's looking down the road, and he's like, someday everything's going to be different. But in order for everything to be different someday, he's going to have to start to change some things today. He's going to have to kick himself into gear and begin to move things along. His debt is piling up. His reputation is trending down. He has the ability, listen, he has the ability, every one of us have the ability to reverse all of this. But sometimes people are just too lazy to do so. His flesh and its comfort has become his God while never realizing that what he is doing is making life more difficult for his flesh in the long run. This is the picture of the slothful man. And if he remains, listen, if he remains in this habit, the Bible indicates that he will be under tribute for the rest of his life. Constantly paying debts, constantly behind the eight ball, so to speak, constantly in a position in which he's looking up instead of looking down. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 27, the slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting. 
verse 25 and 26 of Proverbs 21, the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. He coveteth greedily all the day long. I'd like for you to take your Bible and go to Proverbs 24, just a few chapters away. Look with me in verses 30 to 34, if you would. We get perhaps the most vivid picture of the slothful man in this text. Proverbs 24, look in verse number 30. Solomon writes, he says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. So he says, I, he says, I walked by the property. I walked by the, the field of a lazy man. Everyone knew that he was lazy. I walked by the vineyard of a man who had no understanding. He, 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 couldn't, he couldn't get his act together and couldn't, couldn't work hard and be diligent. just refused to do so. And notice, notice what he saw. He says, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. He's saying, he's saying, he's saying this was a teacher for me. This was, a, this was a really, really impactful and powerful lesson. Thomas says, I didn't have to sit in the classroom in order to learn this. I don't have to sit in church in order to learn this. I learned this just by simply looking and seeing. And he says, here's what it taught me, verse number 33. Yet a little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Isn't that what we say to ourselves? Just a little. You know, I'll, I'll just, I'll, you know, I know I need to start working hard, but I'll, I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick back and take it easy just a little bit longer. Isn't that how so many people are? Just, just a little bit more of this. You know, some, sometimes maybe it's in some other area. You know, I know I need to get healthy and I need to get into shape and I need to, you know, lose some weight. And, you know, and I, I'm going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that someday. But just a little bit more of just kind of eating whatever I want and doing whatever I want. Just a little bit more. He says here, he says, just a little bit more slumber. Just a little bit more sleep. Am I the only guy that when the alarm clock goes off at 530 in the morning, that snooze button looks so enticing, doesn't it? And, and, and I, I, face, I face that struggle every morning, just, just a little bit. It's, my, my, my snooze button's nine minutes. What's nine minutes? I mean, honestly, I mean, nine, nine minutes. It's nothing. I got 24 hours to work with, though it's nine minutes. Nine minutes turns into 18. 18 turns into 27. <laughs> 36, you get the idea. And he says a little, a little bit of slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Verse 34. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Solomon makes the contrast between the diligent man and the slothful man. And he says this, he says, the diligent man rules, while the slothful man is ruled over. So now you know what to look for. You're thinking of these ideas of, you know, you're looking at all of life, and the, 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 two, the two like kinds are, you know, it's, it's, you're looking at people and say, okay, there's a wise man, there's a foolish man. What do I want to be? There's a diligent man and there's a lazy man or a slothful man. What do I want to be? What do I want my children to be? Because listen, your children are watching you. You know, you think it's harmless. You think, you know, I can be a little bit lazy, no big deal. But your children are watching you. You think you can be a little careless with your words that you can spout off, that you can say something. So long as the church people aren't around, it's okay. No one will know. But your children are watching you. I mean, across the board, may God help us. May God help us to make these comparisons, to choose righteous counsel, to choose to be wise with our words, and to choose to be diligent in our business 
And if you'll do that, if you'll do that, you will be abundantly blessed. Would you stand with me? Our heads are bowed. And